Diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen. This is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast, co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today. Welcome to another episode of Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila Asdell-Danielson, and with me today is my co-host, Rob Cockrell. Hi, everyone. So, it looks like you found it. Uh, I'm assuming you're referring to the purple shirt I mentioned last week? Indeed I am. As promised. Looks like it's even the right shade of purple. But, of course. (laughs) Well done. We'll nullify you yet. (laughs) I'm counting on it. So in other things purple, ready for another great episode about hydrogen? I absolutely am. And if I remember correctly, today we'll be chatting with uh, Kathy Ayres, right? Dr. Kathy Ayres, to be exact, that's right. I must say I'm really looking forward to today's episode and the opportunity to speak with Kathy. She's not only an absolutely brilliant, well-respected researcher, she also stands out as someone who's made inroads for women in an industry heavily dominated by men. Sounds like you're understandably quite a fan. I am. As someone who's relatively new to the hydrogen industry, I'm always looking to learn from experts. And on a personal note, I can relate to how difficult it can be to be the only woman at the table. So in both those respects, Kathy is someone I appreciate having in my network. And it's probably important to point out here, Kathy didn't get to her position to fill some diversity quota. She's there because she's a leading expert in her field. It just so happens that she's also a woman, which helps to pave a way forward for the rest of us too. Absolutely. And while I clearly don't come from the same point of experience as you when it comes to being the only woman at the table, of course, I can say it's great to see more women of hydrogen taking leading roles. And like you, I'm looking forward to speaking with Kathy today. Everett dropped a few hints last week about what we can expect to hear from her. He sure did. Anything in particular you're interested in chatting with her about from an H2 view perspective? Well, I've got a bit of a hang up on water at the moment. I think I do remember you tweeting something about that a while ago now. Something about needing to drink more water. You're trying to put the H2O in H2View. Very good. Yeah, (laughs) I I still need to up my game with water. Very conscious of that. But no, Lila, this isn't about my consumption of the Great Replenisher. It's about the hydrogen sector's usage of it and whether we have any concerns about how that is replenished. I see. I remember now. Electrolysis and green hydrogen. (laughs) You did get a bit of a reaction with that. Exactly. I've been on the end of a few questions about this, about water consumption and security at H2View in recent months, and that tweet picked up on a bit of a thread there. It stirred up some questions that I've been wanting to get answers to, so who better to ask than a scientist, an expert in green hydrogen production, and a VP of R&D like Cathy? So apologies in advance, I might keep it fluid with my water-based questions today. (laughs) Sounds great to me. And that sounds like a great time to get Cathy on the line. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, I'm happy to be here. To get us started, could you fill us in a bit on your background? Sure. So I'm a chemist by training. I have a bachelor's degree from UC San Diego, and then I did a PhD in electrochemistry at Caltech. I spent several years in the battery industry before joining the hydrogen industry. So Kathy, what got you into hydrogen? I would say it's actually a classic networking story. I uh, met a person who had a lake house near us up in New Hampshire where we vacation um, where my husband owns property and we just started 
talking about science in general. This was the first time I had met him. And he said, you know, it sounds to me like you'd like to do something more in the renewable field because I was working on primary batteries that all basically get thrown away or landfilled. And my kids were little, I'd been working part-time, and I said, you know, I hadn't really been looking, but I was considering going back to work full-time, so it was maybe time to look for a change. And he said, well, you know, give me your resume, and if I see something, you know, I have a lot of contacts, I'll let you know. Um, and I found out later that he was actually chairman of the board at, at Proton, the precursor to Nell at the time. And so he passed my resume to Everett, and here I am. And here you are indeed. <laughs> I was mentioning to Rob earlier, I'm relatively new to the hydrogen industry, so I tend to find it all quite fascinating. But as someone who's been in the industry for over a decade now, what would you say you find most interesting about hydrogen technology? I mean, for me, being a scientist, it's that there's just so such a diversity of things to work on, and it's at that perfect point in the field where we know that there's a lot that can be done and basically how to do it, but there's still challenges in actually working through it. So from a science perspective, you've got polymers, you've got catalysts, you've got nanomaterials, you've got metals. And so it's a whole mix of different materials to work with, but there's all this background from the fuel cell industry that we can leverage. And so we see a huge amount of promise for hydrogen and we have the the skills and the topics to go after in order to solve those problems and get to where we need to be. So Kathy, it, it isn't often we get the opportunity to hear from someone such as yourself. So can we take this chance to ask you about some of the basic nuts and bolts of electrolysis? Let's start by asking for anyone at home that's wondering, can you tell us about the very basic principles behind the process of electrolysis? So electrolysis is basically just taking electricity and using it to split water. Um, so you're applying a current to two electrodes, and depending on which type of chemistry it is, the cell configuration is a little bit different, but essentially you're splitting water, which is H2O, into its two components, hydrogen and oxygen. The systems we specifically work on in Connecticut have a membrane between the two electrodes, which separates the gases and allows us to generate the hydrogen at pressure. We also have catalysts in the system in order to make that reaction easier. Now I'm going to steal a question from Rob here. Uh, as you might have heard, he's quite interested in the water side of things. So let's talk a little bit about H2O. Does the water that feeds an electrolyzer have to be of a particular standard or quality or, or purity even? And does the type of electrolyte material or operational temper temperature make any difference to this? So it does have to be relatively pure water in any case, um, even in the systems where you're using a liquid electrolyte, like the alkaline electrolyte, you're not consuming that electrolyte. And so the feed water to the system is pure water. From a scientific perspective, we call it ASTM type 2 as a limit, but essentially it's the similar type of water you would get from distilling water or deionizing it. So we're primarily interested in taking metal ions out and other contaminants that could poison your catalyst or your membrane. And I don't believe that that really matters in terms of what temperature you're operating at. You're, you're still, because you're splitting water, you really want to replenish the system with just the water and not build up other contaminants in the system. 
Thanks for getting us straight into my uh, hot topic there, Lila. Um, okay, so we're here today to talk about green hydrogen technology and electrolysis is a promising option for hydrogen production from renewable resources. In fact, we've said many times before that it's widely regarded as key to unlocking a green hydrogen society. Now, the feedstock, the water, is seemingly abundant and sustainable itself, but is it really? Are there any challenges with sourcing that water, particularly in some regions? So the cost of purification and the technology for purification is is not that bad. It's a smaller portion of the overall system cost. But I will say that our customers who live in water scarce areas uh, are concerned about the the what's called the reject water from a water purification system because basically you're separating the water and into pure water and water that's got increased amounts of those same metals I mentioned earlier. So it is a, a consideration for people, but you're really not using all that much water in the system itself. Uh, most of the water that we're putting into the system is circulating through the system repeatedly. So even though it takes a lot of water, for example, for one of our large systems, you know, it can be a thousand gallons circulating. We're really not using all that much in the reaction itself. So I would say desalination technologies are important, but they're not really the limitation at this point for green hydrogen. Okay, that's interesting. You're um, you're preempting my my next question there, <laughs> Kathy. Uh, you know, I was going to ask for the listeners' benefit. Um, can we expect water desalination technologies to go hand in hand with electrolyzer scale up uh, in certain regions or applications, at least, so that marine and maritime applications can recycle seawater? Also, that traditionally dry and arid regions like, I don't know, the Middle East could secure a sustainable feedstock. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think those technologies will help and they'll also help to drive the cost down in some respects in terms of the water purification. So they would certainly be helpful. But again, I don't think they're the, the primary limitation to getting us to where we need to be for production of green hydrogen. Okay, that's interesting. I'll um, I'll drop the water line now, Lila. Let's uh, carry on. I was going to say, I'm sorry, Rob, but I'm going to pull us away from the water topic for a little bit. Maybe, maybe you can sneak some more questions in later. I, I can take it. <laughs> All right, Kathy, last week we spoke to Everett Anderson, who before today, I actually wasn't aware, it was the one who officially brought you on board in Nell. Um, he mentioned being very excited about Nell's new PEM cell stack. What can you tell us about it? What makes it such an important development? Well, it's the biggest by about a factor of five over the largest commercial stack we have today. So it really allows us to make the the system more economical, you know, making one stack instead of five and the associated connections that go with that on the balance of plant side bring down the cost of electrolysis quite a bit. And so to us, it's it's really a culmination of a lot of the work that we've done over the past several years because it's a very similar platform, just scaled up, and we're really maximizing the capabilities of our supply chain with that stack design. So Everett also mentioned that Nell is developing new components, such as porous transport layers, through a partnership with the U.S. Department of Energy. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, that particular project is just getting started, so we're working through contracting with DOE right now, but it's an exciting project because there hasn't been a lot of work done in that area specific to electrolysis. A lot of the materials that we're using today are adopted from other fields like filtration, 
And so we really feel like there's an opportunity to look at what's really needed for our systems and redesign that component so that we can get better transport through the cell of water and better contact to the, the membrane, which is really the key part of the device and the PEM systems. Now, if I understand correctly, you work quite closely with several well-regarded universities and research labs on a variety of topics. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, when I started at, at was then Proton, we didn't have a lot of collaborative projects and I, we really wanted to kickstart the, the R&D up to a new level. Primarily before that, I would say the company was focused on developing commercial products and starting to scale them. And we really wanted to look back at the chemistry and see how could we make them even better. And being a small company, we didn't necessarily have the resources or the depth that a university or a national lab does in order to really dig into some of these projects. And so leveraging outside capability and outside equipment that you're not going to be able to find within a small company really helps us to drive some of these projects forward. So in addition to that, I think it also has elevated our research standing in the field because we're known among a lot of these labs and universities as well. So here's a big wide open question for you, Kathy. Are there any other big technology advances coming up that you could tell us about? So I think a couple of them were already mentioned, the larger stack and the porous transport layer. We're also working on some of the other components within the, the cell stack. The manufacturing of the catalyst-coated membrane is an area that we're working heavily on, uh, both internally and, and with some of our partners. We're also looking at the system level at larger systems and how do we integrate those better with renewable energy sources and things like that. To pull back a bit to what you were talking about at the beginning of the, the episode, you mentioned that you were working with batteries previously. Now, there we weren't talking about uh, batteries such as in um, um, battery electric vehicles. But what caused you to, to get into hydrogen as opposed to going into a kind of renewably uh, approached battery background? I mean, I would say, again, it was more the connection that I made and this specific opportunity that came up. And when I interviewed with the company, I just really liked the people and the technology. And so I decided to make a change. And it was very new when I first started learning about the hydrogen technology. But again, having so many different aspects of science to be able to work on made it very interesting and the story of hydrogen and where it's used and all the kind of interesting applications that it can serve made it just more exciting to me than kind of staying in the same field. Makes sense. Now, uh, we get a lot of questions about, uh, or, or criticisms maybe, that, that perhaps it should be battery versus hydrogen or battery over hydrogen. From a technology standpoint, what would you say, where should we be going with the technology, battery or hydrogen? <laughs> I, I would say both, which I know is a non-answer, but I, I think it's really true. I think there is no one technology that is going to address every single application. So I think there's a place for batteries and there's a place for hydrogen. The batteries tend to do better in shorter term duration applications where 
having high round trip efficiency is going to be really important and the battery itself is not that expensive at those shorter times. When you're talking about going to long-term applications where you store a lot of energy for a long time, um, something like hydrogen tends to be more attractive because you're separating the storage cost from the cost of the electrochemical device. So you can just you can add storage by just putting in more tanks instead of building more electrolyzer. I, uh, I love that you got that question in there, Lila. Um, and I think if that's a non-answer, then there's certainly a lot of non-answers out there at the moment. It's uh, a key part of the messaging. Let, let's get to another question then that's very much uh, out there sometimes in terms of one or the other. Alkaline, PEM, or both? Will there be one winning electrolyzer technology sometime in the future? I would say there could be, but right now they both, again, serve their purposes and they both have advantages. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be whatever's the lower cost of ownership. So it depends on many factors. It depends on the efficiency of where each technology gets. It depends on the capital cost where each one gets, and it depends on the electricity cost because that really shifts which one is more important, the capital cost or the, the operating cost. So alkaline systems run very well at very large scale. They're currently slightly more efficient and slightly less expensive, but the PEM systems have some potential advantages in operating ability in terms of ramping, and you also don't have the, the liquid electrolyte to deal with. So um, I think there are customers that prefer one over the other, and it, it's not necessarily the same one every time. So they each have their place. Fair enough. Now, hydrogen has been in use for industrial purposes for a long time. Uh, Nell itself has been working with it for nearly a century, yet it's still considered somewhat of a niche market. Uh, some say that's because previously the technology simply hasn't been ready. What about now? Well, I mean, I do think that the alkaline technology was serving some of these large markets. So, for example, there were systems that were making large amounts of hydrogen from hydropower in order to make ammonia. And it was just the fact that when those plants aged out, natural gas was cheaper at the time. I would say the PEM systems have suffered more from being from serving more of those niche markets because it was smaller and not at that same scale. And now that we've scaled that technology to a much more similar level, it can start to address the same markets that Alkaline has played in. And now that there's more emphasis on sustainability and going renewable, I think those technologies will grow. Uh, and, and on that note of technology, one last technology question from me at least. Um, what about the, the PEM electrolyzers in particular? Are there any advances that particularly excite you? Well, like I said earlier, I think the fact that the fuel cells have come along so far have really shown that the, the components for a fuel cell or, or an electrolyzer, which are, are very similar, it's basically the reverse of each other shows that there's the opportunity to make those components at high speed and low cost for the electrolyzer as well. And so those are the types of areas that we're moving towards. And I also think some of the understanding of materials that's happened on the fuel cell side is going to help us in the electrolyzer side as well. Taking it on to a totally different note now, Rob and I were discussing at the beginning of this chat about you opening up the doors for women in an industry that is still quite heavily dominated by men. Any thoughts on that? 
I would actually say that my experience with Nell has been very good in that respect. I, I've had very good experiences throughout, even despite the fact that at least early on, I did tend to be the only woman in the room. I would say that's not true in all industries. And I hope that women know that they have choices and they can vote with their feet. And there are companies that treat women very well and listen to what they have to say and give them the opportunities to really grow in their careers. But it is something that needs to be more consistent across the board. And how is it to be viewed as a, as a leader in this, not just obviously on the technology side, but also opening up those doors for, for women in this industry inside Nell, but also outside just in the industry in general? How is it to be a, a leader in this? Um, I mean, honestly, it surprises me a little bit because I was pretty shy as a kid. I spent a lot of time getting over fear of things like public speaking, but I also had strong role models and mentors in some cases, both female and male. And I think that's really important that those of us who have had those opportunities and also the the men in leadership positions, it's really important for all of us to help look for for other women who have promise and help mentor them and help guide them through kind of those same obstacles and help them, you know, gain their own self-confidence in terms of taking risks and putting themselves out there and looking for the right fit for them. Well, thank you for for being someone who does that. It's appreciated. Uh, I feel like I've been having some fun with my questions today about water and technology, and I'm going to throw another one of those wide open questions in there, Kathy. What are your thoughts on the role of hydrogen going forward? I mean, even hydrogen today has a, a large role in, in the industrial space, um, which was talked about. And I, I think that that will move towards more sustainable sources. So I mentioned ammonia earlier, I think moving back towards producing ammonia in a green way, producing other industrial chemicals through green processes is is going to be important. And I also think that hydrogen will play a role in transportation and in energy storage. I think the, the question is still open as to exactly where and to what scope, but heavy duty vehicles, for example, Hydrogen looks more attractive, and it's got some advantages in terms of the the obstacles that you hear about in hydrogen generally are things like infrastructure and clustering of vehicles. You need enough vehicles to make a station make sense. Well, if you have trucks or buses, that's a lot easier scenario to kind of see how you would have a central hydrogen station because your vehicles are running the same route all the time. Same thing with energy storage. I think there's going to be certainly be some applications where hydrogen is the most logical choice because of that ability to store large amounts for long times. So I think that there's a lot of ability for hydrogen to grow, especially renewable hydrogen. And we'll just have to see what the end mix of technologies is. But I, I'm not worried about not having enough um, space to put hydrogen. I think that that will grow substantially and there will be lots of opportunities for us to install products into those markets. 
Uh, and just on that kind of note, you know, having enough space and, and there'll be plenty of opportunities, do you think we're doing enough? Are we moving quick enough or could we be doing more? Oh, certainly we could be moving faster. I think it's all a matter of how much investment is put behind these technologies. And I, certainly in the past, certain areas have been more focused on, on battery vehicles. I mean, even within the Department of Energy, although we've, we have a very good relationship with them and we've gotten very good projects funded through them, if you look at the amount that's been spent on hydrogen versus what's been spent on batteries, there's quite a difference. And so I think if that same investment is made in hydrogen, it can move even faster than it is already. Are there any key areas of hydrogen research that you think that we should be making more investments in? If Ideally, if you can have one kind of area that you'd like us to focus more on, what would that be? Well, I'd actually say there are two, and they're, they kind of go hand in hand. One is really developing that manufacturing capability, as I mentioned earlier, and the second is deployment at large scale. So... I say they go hand in hand because the deployment is going to help the manufacturing, but also it really proves out to people that hydrogen works in these technologies and it solves some of the integration challenges that maybe we don't know that much about yet. Um, we we kind of don't know what we don't know until we really see how these things operate. Um, the systems themselves are reliable, but how they interact with certain types of renewable energy and, and things like that are, are things that we really want to demonstrate so that people have confidence in deploying them more broadly. Makes sense. To take another uh, detour here, you've been in the industry for, I believe it was about 13 years now, you'd said? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, any fun or interesting hydrogen stories you'd like to share with our listeners from that time? <laughs> so when I started, one of the, the things that I was told is that we, well, I'll back up a second. So one of our products is often used for uh, filling weather balloons, um, which is something that I had never thought about hydrogen for. But if you think about it, a lot of weather stations, national weather stations are on remote islands because they're in the South Pacific along the equator and they're sending up weather balloons from those spaces. So first of all, learning that that was a key market for us was very interesting. And and secondly, I at least heard a rumor that because these are all on remote islands, they also tend to be popular for TV shows like Survivor. And at least at one point, we had those electrolysis units on all of the islands where they had filmed uh, Survivor seasons, which I thought was kind of funny. I hope all the uh, Survivor fans out there are uh, <laughs> aware of that fact, or at least will be now. <laughs> I've uh, I, I've got one slightly uh, fun question here, and then and then I'm done, guys. I promise. Kathy, if you were the president for the day, the first female president, of course, <laughs> what one thing would you do or pass related to hydrogen? Oh, uh, that's a tough question. Um, I guess the most important thing to me would be really figuring out where we're gonna get that investment from because I think it does a lot for the country, not just for the hydrogen industry, but also in terms of manufacturing jobs, retraining for some of the people who are in fossil industries today and things like that. So it's not just about, there's a lot of technology development that would be really good to do. I also think that in order to be competitive going forward, we're going to need to gain the skill sets and train the people and increase the manufacturing in the U.S. in order to to serve these markets and to be competitive as a country. 
I appreciate that you said that. Coming from uh, oil country in uh, Canada, uh, there's a lot of talk about how do we take the skills that are existing right. and transition those into more sustainable careers. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from there. I, I definitely appreciate you answering that question as well, Kathy. <laughs> yeah, get a little bit of uh, politics in there, Rob. I'll, uh, I'll hand it over to you now, Lila. <laughs> Uh, well, Kathy, I think we could probably talk all day, but we are just about out of time, unfortunately. So briefly, what are the key takeaways you'd like listeners to get from our chat today? I guess I would say that key takeaways would be that hydrogen is going to be a major player in the energy market. That doesn't mean that it's going to be the only player in the energy market. So I'm not suggesting that everything should go one way, as I said before. And that there's a lot of science and technology that we have an idea how to do, and we're ready to go do it. Thanks so much, Kathy. Really appreciate you joining us today. Sure. Rob, any last thoughts before we wrap up for the day? Well, I think we can safely say that I've uh, certainly had my thirst for water knowledge quenched today. So uh, <laughs> thanks indeed so. to Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Kathy on that one. And I've uh, certainly thrown a few wide open questions there as well. Uh, other thoughts? Well, to echo your comments at the start of this podcast, I'm delighted we've been able to talk to Kathy for this series. There's some great insights there on those PEM cell stack advances, as well as the collaboration with universities. A spirit of collaboration is most definitely essential to all successful transitions of this magnitude. But one of my favorite takeaways was actually how Kathy came to be in the hydrogen space with Nell in the first place. I love stories like that, a, a chance encounter that has evolved into a journey to the forefront of the energy transition. Just brilliant. <laughs> Fully agree. Thanks for that, Rob. And to you, our audience, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Purple is the New Green. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to check out our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts for more episodes as they're released. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in. We'll be back next week with more Hydrogen Talk. And until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>